Uh, good morning. Uh, in case you don't know, my name's Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Covenant, and I am just really happy to be with you guys um, on, I guess, for us now, it's called a hot day, apparently, after this week. Um, I will tell you, uh, before we kind of jump into the text, we're going to be in John 5, if you want to turn there, as we kind of resume our series in the book of John. Um, you know, there's been a lot of uh, funny memes this week, you know, about... Uh, all, all the stuff that keeps happening in the past like 12 months, you know, and, and I've laughed at those and, and they are funny and comical. But, but I will tell you, I, I do think, I think sometimes as Christians, we get a little, um, how I put this, we don't mourn well. Like we don't mourn well. Yes, friends, we have a great hope. We just sang about that. My heart was leaping with joy at the words of the gospel we were singing. It was. But we still know that Jesus wept when he was with Mary and Martha. That there is this time that we have to process that this world is broken. And when we hear stories about uh, people freezing to death, as we hear of this week, listen, it, it, it is just heartbreaking. Over this past year, we've battled this this pandemic with COVID and the people that have gotten sick and have died and people are out of work and have lost businesses and, and now homes are ruined and, and there's just, just, and all this political divide and the discourse is just, it is heavy. And there is a time that we as Christians, we have to say life is hard. But in our text today, I was tempted to like just preach something else today, but there is something about just being in the word of God consistently going through a book of the Bible that is so good for our souls. And we're in John 5 today, and you, you heard some of it just now about this story. You might have heard you've been in church before of Jesus healing this invalid man who had been this way for 38 years. And he healed him. And then later on in the passage we're going to get to, the Jewish leaders came up to him and they asked this question to him. Who is this man that healed you? And that question has just kind of been on me all week long. I've had nothing to do this week except for read this passage over and over. So I apologize for that, what happens this, today. But this question of who is this man? Listen, we tend to be distracted by lots of things. But every person in the history of the world has to wrestle with Jesus. No matter where you are today, like if, if you today are, are doubting your faith or you're, you're doubting the church, you have all these doubts, at the end of the day, you have to do something with Jesus. The man that existed 2,000 years ago, that lived a perfect life, that died and rose again and, and literally changed the world from when he came. We have to wrestle with Jesus. Maybe today you are just apathetic in your faith, Right? And I will be honest with you, me and Luke were talking earlier, um, it's weeks like these, you just get in a funk, don't you? Like it was like flashbacks, PTSD to like last March and April for sure. It's like, oh my gosh, what is happening? And my Caddo Parish friends, I apologize for you with the school news this morning. And all this stuff just comes up of like, oh man, I, I just get in a funk. I just get in a funk, I get lazy, I get apathetic. But the truth is, as I was... In the word this week, I had to wrestle with, well, if Jesus is real, if I started really searching out this man, I cannot be apathetic about that. 
Does that make sense? It's like getting the news that you have cancer and you were healed. You're not going to be apathetic about that. Or maybe that you're discouraged in your faith. It's been a long year. It's been a long 12 months. It's been all these things. It's been a long week. And you're just discouraged in your faith. But, but hear this. Me and, me and my boys, were, reading, we're going through the church reading plan. Or we're reading Acts right now. And in Acts, people keep getting killed in the book of Acts. And my boys do not get it at all. They're like, what is going on here? And what they're seeing is that a lot of times in our Christian faith, it's not always easy, is it? We're not promised ease, are we? Here's what we are promised. When we, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, the great hymn, right? Turn your eyes upon him and the things of this world go strangely dim. There is so much truth to that, that if we can learn, if we truly answer the question and keep answering it every single day of our lives, of who is this man? The Christ revealed to us in the scriptures. If we truly set our eyes, our hearts on him, listen, the world will hurt us. We will have tears. We will have sickness. That is all true. But we'll have Jesus. And we'll have a peace that surpasses all understanding. And that brings us to John 5. And I think we felt all three of these this week. Doubt, apathy, discouragement. But my prayer is that we, that we pause today. And we truly look at Christ for who he is. Pray with me. Uh, dear Father, I ask as we, as we um, expound on your word, as we look at your word this morning, Father... Let the truth of who you are, the truth of your word come alive to us today. And let us be incapable to like, to ignore that this morning, Father. Be real to us today, Lord. Let us see you for you truly are, Father, and let it lead us to you. We preach and we sing and we pray all in your name, Jesus. Amen. So John 5. Uh, verse 1, it says here, we're going to have lots of fun stuff in this text today. It says here, after this, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gates, a pool. In Aramaic, it's called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. I want to pause there for a moment. A real quick, just interesting side point. The location of these pools are still there today. They're actually a series of reservoirs and medicinal pools. It's in now the Muslim quarter of Jerusalem's old city. It's north of Temple Mount, about 50 meters or so inside the Lion's Gate. At the time, the gate was called the Sheep Gate because this was where sheep were brought to the temple for sacrifice. Now, in the Gospel account, John describes the pools having five colonnades. And now for a while... These pools had not been discovered. And this led people to question what John was saying. Some claim that John invented the details of these five colonnades to represent the five books of Moses, which Christ came to fulfill. But then in the early 1900s, archaeologists at Bethesda unearthed two large water reservoirs separated by a rock. And they are rectangular in shape with four colonnaded porticos around the sides and one across the middle. 
And I say that, but here's why. As we're thinking about who is God, who is Jesus, there is this beautiful reminder that the Bible is rooted in actual history. Like you can see today parts of scripture be made alive. And we can't forget that as we're trying to read God's word, that he was a real person living in a real world during real times. Let's keep going. Verse three, in these, there lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. Now one man was there who'd been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years, can you imagine? Verse six, when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he'd already been there a long time. And he said to him, do you want to be healed? Now, I want you to notice something real quick. If you're like in a, a NIV or ESV or NASB, you notice something here. Once again, about scripture, I want to see how it's kind of arranged here. If you look, there is no verse four in your Bible. Are you looking in your Bibles? There's no verse four, unless you're in like the old King James. And we notice this, but it's there in the old King James. And this starts lots of debates. You might've heard about King James versus other translations. So why is it missing? Well, here's the clearest answer. It's not there in the oldest and the best manuscripts. See, there are thousands and thousands of Greek manuscripts or fragments of Greek manuscripts. And the way that we arrive at our very reliable word of God today is through reliable Greek and Hebrew and English versions that these texts, the thousands are compared to. And, and really painstaking detail. People take this very Seriously, because it's the word of God, right? Then when some manuscripts have different wording, we can tell almost all the time, which is original. So here it seems in this situation with the verse four, that somewhere along the way, some copyist drew a marginal note of explanation into the actual text. Verse seven here begs for an explanation. It says here, the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. It, it, it seems like only a few were healed or maybe only one when the water was stirred up. And if you're too slow, you missed out. So verse four in the King James, you can probably see it in your footnotes. It says the invalids were waiting for the moving of the water for an angel of the Lord went down at certain sessions, seasons into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had, which helps make sense out of verse seven where the man says he can't get in the pool in time. But of course, this explanation might not be right, but since it's missing from the earliest manuscripts, and as other marks are being added later, the more recent versions omit it completely. So we have a version that's as close to the original as possible. See, how the pool worked is not essential to the story. What is essential is that Jesus was working in the story. But I want you to hear this with the, the, the history of, of this pool, with the, the detail that, the, that, that the, our, our word has come to today that we have a reliable picture of who God is. Not some fairy tale, not some random thing passed down, but the actual words of God in front of us. So let's keep going. So Jesus saw him lying there. This man had been there 38 years. 38 years of being this way. I imagine he was discouraged and lacked hope. 
And he knew that he'd already been there a long time. So he asked him, do you want to be healed? Now, this wasn't some test from Jesus. He was truly asking him, do you want this? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to see your life changed? Because this is all you've known for 38 years. Here's his reply. The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. While I'm going, another steps down before me. So Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once this man was healed. He took up his bed and he walked. So the first thing we see in this text that Jesus revealed his power. See, this man had spent who knows how long by this pool hoping for some different kind of way to heal him. Jesus sees this and heals him instantly. See, in John's gospel, although the man had not been mentioned before, the reader can infer something about this. And telling the sick man to get up, your mat, get up, pick up your mat and walk, Jesus is not saying, get up and walk around to prove to everybody that I've healed you. He is saying, get up, leave this place, take your mat with you because you are not coming back. You don't need to stay here any longer. And this is one of those healings that Jesus performed without any act of faith by the person being healed. Jesus simply revealed his power in the life of this man. It's a reminder to us that his power does not depend on us. His power does not depend on us. And that is so good. We sang a song earlier about his faithfulness, right? How many times are we just not faithful? But his power does not depend on us. And listen to this. His power was total and it was instant. It was total and it was instant. So many of us are striving and striving and we're searching and we're going through all these ways. But his power is total and instant. Colossians 1 says this, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, not some things, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He revealed his power. Connor was asking me the other day about uh, creation. He's like, so wait, so, so he just spoke it and it was just there? I said, yes, his power is instant. This man, sick for 38 years, by this pool, waiting for his turn, all these different ways to get healed. Then Jesus says, take your mat and go. Jesus revealed his power. Let's keep going. Now that day was the Sabbath. And when you see that phrase, this day was the Sabbath, the story begins to turn. And you, and you kind of see what's going on here. It was not an accident this happened on the Sabbath. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk was a deliberate challenge to the religious authorities in Jerusalem and their Sabbath laws. In a sense, Jesus was picking a fight. He was revealing something about himself that he knew was going to fly in the face of the Jewish leaders. Verse 10. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed. They're like the hall monitors back then, it seems like. So hear this. These rabbis and their historical interpretation of the law, they had come up with 39 
39 specific types of work that you could not do on the Sabbath. And the very last one on the list, he just missed it. The last one on the list was this prohibition against carrying something from one place to another. And so because it's human rule, the Jews reacted very harshly and negatively when they saw this man walking about carrying his bed. Let's keep going. Verse 11. He answered them. It was the man who healed me. That man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in this place. He healed him and he walked away. But then afterward, Jesus found him. And I want to remind you, there's probably thousands of people all around. But Jesus finds him. All of this is very intentional. He's revealing something about himself. He found him in the temple and he said to him, See, you are well. You're well physically. But then he says here, Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. So we see here, he revealed his power, and now he reveals his compassion. Jesus revealed his compassion. See, his ultimate heart was to heal body and to heal the soul. See, this compassion... You see this idea of compassion come out over and over in the Gospels. You see it here in Matthew 14, 14. He had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Feed the hungry. I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. He had compassion on them, being to teach them many things. Do not weep for his compassion. The Greek word for compassion is the same in all of these texts. In this Greek word, literally means to the bowels or the guts of a person. To the bowels, to the guts of Jesus. It's an ancient way of referring to what comes from your innermost core. This compassion, hear this, reflects the deepest heart of Jesus. And that is good news for us today. Because the deepest compassion for Christ is for sinners and for the broken. And we see it here with this man. Not just his body. Jesus wanted to see his soul healed. And this brings up interesting thoughts. He says here. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Now we know. We see later in the gospel. Jesus has this story about this blind man. Who was not blind because of his sin or his parents sin. But there is this idea that there can't be physical harm. From our sinning. That's in James 2, right? Confess your sins so that you may be healed. This physical manifestation of our sin sometimes. That does happen. And Jesus is very concerned from his bowels. He has compassion for us that are sinners and that are away. But as we turn here, listen, his power his compassion, they're they're the parts of who Christ is that we have no problem with. We love the loving and powerful Jesus because he becomes the genie in the bottle, right? 
He is the one who, if we want something, we turn to him and we're good, right? We, we love that version of Jesus. He's a great teacher. He's a great prophet. He does some great things. We are good with that. But this last thing he reveals is what trips up most people. Let's go to verse 15. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. I want you to see something here. Jesus said, go and sin no more. And the first thing he does is he goes and tells these leaders. And since he goes and tells on Jesus. So we don't see a response of faith from this man. We, we, we see no example of faith from this man. Let's keep going. Verse 16. This is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered. Here, this is really key. My father is working until now, and I am working. You see, Genesis 2 tells us that God rested on the seventh day, right? But Jewish rabbis also agreed in that time that God continually upheld the universe without breaking the Sabbath. So if God was above Sabbath regulations, what Jesus is saying is, so am I. And when they heard this, they were not happy because here Jesus revealed his glory. He revealed his power by, by healing this man. He revealed his compassion to see him healed and his sin taken away. But most of all, what Jesus is doing is revealing his glory. His purpose was to reveal the glory of the father and the glory he has shared with the father for all of eternity. He wasn't just a good teacher or a good prophet or who did great things. He was literally God in the flesh. John 1 verse 14, the word became flesh and it dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the father, full of grace and truth. Hebrews 1, he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. And as, as he reveals this glory, as he puts it out for all to see, as in a sense he picks this, this fight with him for them to see this, it demands a response from these leaders. And here's a response in verse 18. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath he was even calling God his own father making himself equal with God they had their rules and he was not following they did not like that but the foundation of their issue was this Jesus was God that was the foundation of their issue and here is the truth for us today when we see Jesus as he truly is, yes, his compassion, yes, his power, but yes, his glory. Hear this, friends. It demands a response from us. And here's why. When we see his glory, it shows our need, and we do not like that. When we see his glory, it shows our need. When he is big, we're revealed to be small. And hear this, we fight and we fight and we fight against that. One of the biggest sins in our culture today is to be needy, isn't it? 
We do not want to be needy. But the primary attribute of following Jesus is to be needy. That's how we come to him is by being needy. Let's go to Luke 6. We're going to take a little turn here for a second. Let's go to Luke 6. Because I think sometimes how will I say this? We get our glory, we get our satisfaction, we get our hope from the things of this world. And we have, we have been, uh, I think, led and blinded into this kind of life. That if we do this, 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 and this, we're good. But the message of Jesus is much different. Go to verse, um, verse 20 in Luke 6. This is the Beatitudes. You've heard this before probably if you've been in church at all. He lifted up his eyes on his disciples and he said, Blessed are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets." Keep going. And here's what I want us to see mostly. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Woe to you. See, I think sometimes we, we shade and distract our view of Christ through pursuing riches, pursuing a good name. And what Christ is saying is that we should, if we're going to follow him, if we see him for how he truly is, and we walk in those ways, we walk in those steps, our life should be different. We should expect discomfort. We should expect pain. We shouldn't be so concerned with the things of this world because we have hope that we'll have glory in the next. But many times we're too distracted and we go through all kinds of hoops to, to, feel, to feel this need. And here's the, the worry I have for us many times is I think many of us in our church this is a good thing. We don't necessarily fall with the culture and, and becoming secular and leave behind the faith. We, we don't really fall in those ways. But here's what we do. We replace need with the church and good things. And here's, here's what I mean. Is instead of truly wrestling with Jesus and putting our hope and our trust and our faith in him, we do that to a church. That if we're not careful, we're following our church or our tribe or even good works more than we're actually pursuing Jesus. Does that make sense? Hear this church. If covenant ends tomorrow, nothing should change for us on some level because our ultimate calling is to pursue Christ. We're seeing him as supreme. As he's supreme, everything else falls into place. John 6 says it this way. As Jesus is talking to sinners, he says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. 
Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Whoever comes to Jesus, not a church, not a program, not a do-good thing. You have to come to Jesus. He's powerful. He's compassionate. He is God. And if you're here or if you're watching online and you have real doubts, I want to, that's okay. But the biggest question you have to answer is what will you do with Jesus? At the end of the day, with all of your questions about all this stuff, what are you going to do with Jesus? But maybe you're here and and you say, okay, I've gone past those doubts. I, I have seen Christ. I accept Christ. I love Christ. I want to pursue Christ. Here's my challenge. How does Jesus become more real to you today? How does it become more real to you? How do you trust in his power and not your own in a deeper and more real way? How do you trust in his power? What are you trying to accomplish on your own? What are you striving for in your own power? And here's how I define your own power. By hiding and gritting your teeth and bearing it. The way that we don't do in our own power is we expose the sin in our lives to God and to others. And let God begin to heal us. How do you lean into his compassion with your sin in a deeper way today? How do you lean in and reveal your sin with his, to his compassion Because hear this, his compassion, the innermost parts of him are for you. He is not desiring for you to hide your sin from him and others. That is not how you fight your sin. His compassion, his love of sinners should draw all of us out to lean on his compassion with honesty. And last, how today do you lay aside your glory? How do you reveal your need to Jesus and others in a deeper way today? What I'd say just kind of to end this today is in light of the great glory of Jesus, of who he truly is, hear this today, you have nothing to offer. You have nothing to offer. All you can give him is everything. Is you being needy? Is your posture before him and others? And my prayer for us today, and we've had a week. It's been a hard week. I know some are out of their homes right now. Things are broken. Things cost money. It's been a hard week. And it's revealed for us we have true, we've had to become needy for the first time in a long time, right? We've needed milk. We've had needed this. We had to rely on others. But hear this. You have a much greater need today. In light of Christ, your need, your sin is great, but his mercy is more. And that's for those who have never put their faith in Christ and those who have been there for 30 years. That our call is the same today. To become, the word is just more humble, more open, more honest, more needy. Who is this man? He is Jesus, who's full of power and compassion and the glory of God.
Decide today how you're going to respond to him and who he truly is. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for thank you for the truth of your gospel. That you who knew no sin took on our sin. Father, forgive us for looking past you and looking to other things. For putting up walls, for projecting strength we don't have, Lord. Let the reality of who you are today, Father, lead us to humble on our knees confession and pursuit of you. Lord, make yourself real to us today. We love you, Jesus. We pray all this in your name.